What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Open Door Wrestling Podcast, your podcast gateway and entryway into the pro wrestling multiverse. I'm hearing the forbidden door is starting to open up again soon. I'm DJM, and I'm joined by my podcasting co-host and tag team partner, The Subtle Doctor. What is going on, Physician of Nuance? What's good, DJM? Um, I am good. You know, wrestling has has been treating me all right in in the last couple of days. I've got Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar here, which I feel incredibly underrated drink. If we were doing drinks stock up down futures, I'll go with the Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar futures. It's of of the the diet sodas. It is among my favorites if not my absolute favorite so mm, fascinating fascinating yeah yeah well i'm i'm going old school today and uh my my drink stock up is is one might say the dory funk jr of drinks just a regular old glass of water well well i mean it's hard to compete with the the legacy you know the the career of water spans decades yeah and it's, it's it's drawing a lot of money <laughs> over the years. You, you really can't go wrong when they when they say old school's still cool. They talk about water for sure. Been repackaged a, a few times, you know, for for the young people, and you know, it still it still brings the goods. So it does it does? Yeah, so drink, I, drink hall of I, famer. I, and and everybody out there, like they do on Twitch streams, make sure while you're listening. Uh, make sure you hydrate or dehydrate. Always make sure you stay hydrated. And as Doc would say, listen if you can, subscribe if we let you, and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then unsubscribe and resubscribe. Please, pretty please. Really appreciate that. So let's jump in to some professional wrestling, Subtle Doctor. Uh, for new listeners of the show, uh, we like to start off with our stocks, where we talk about something in professional wrestling or someone that we see is on the rise, something that we might see that be going on the fall, and then we look at a future stock where we're kind of looking ahead to see what might be coming down the pipeline. Uh, Doc, we're going to start with the stock up. What's your first stock up this week? I had a, a number of candidates, DJM, for my stock up. Uh, I considered going Jade Cargill because, mm. you know, she's won the TBS title, had some successful defenses. And I don't know if you have been following the, you know, the, the I, I don't know how closely you follow the ratings in terms of like the quarter hours and those kind of breakdowns of AEW shows. But Cargill's quarter hours on Rampage are always up. They're always very, very good. And she referenced that in her in her promo this on this week's show. And she's, you know, improving kind of in the ring, you know, bit by bit, as as you kind of had to figure she would because she's such a fantastic athlete. But I, I considered all this, but I'm not going Cargill for my stock up. I'm going to go instead. Or did, did you have something to say about Cargill? 
Uh, I was just going to ask you really quick, because sure. I know that in particular, uh, the one that really stuck out to me most recently was her TBS championship defense against Anna Jay. And I feel like for me and maybe a lot of others, that match really opened up a lot of eyes, I would say, because that was a really good wrestling match between two very young performers and that one I think really showed athletically and as a performer what Jade Cargill is really capable of. That's one of those that like I don't know, say Dragon Gate, right? If this were Dragon Gate and you had these generational rivals having their first match as like, you know, twenty year olds, nineteen year olds, something like that. I don't think those ladies are quite that young, but but you get the idea that like the the big kind of takeaway from it would be let's get some some footage here that we can show later on once these performers have matured and are in a position to draw money so that we can sort of say hey these are generational rivals look at the how long they have been feuding and going back and forth like there's a history here and so for those purposes i think that that match was quite good and and for what it was i i enjoyed it i thought it was good but Jade Cargill is not actually, <laughs> I'm kind of cheating here. She's not actually my stock up. Uh, my stock up is um, someone who is, has gotten less exposure in the Western Hemisphere, I think. And that is Mirai from Stardom. And since her name is in all caps, I guess I should pronounce it Mirai instead of just simply Mirai. Uh, but, but Mirai has recently debuted in Stardom in January. She made her official debut. Um, she was wrestling for Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, and it is looking like that's kind of a big loss for TJPW, uh, kind of losing her now because she, on the 29th of January, had a title match with Siri. And, you know... Sometimes I question Rossi Ogawa's booking of stardom. And like, why are these people getting title shots or whatever? And certainly she... I question Rossi Ogawa a lot. <laughs> yes. So like, but but on, on this score, I mean, she did not deserve a title shot, but I, I feel like what this did for her. And and by the way, she is stablemates with Siri. She is part of the, as the kids say, OP stable, Donna Del Mondo, which is pushed incredibly hard. But... um. So she wrestled her her stablemate Siri, uh, and this was really a match to establish Mirai as a threat, as a legitimate title contender, as someone like we could throw in these main events at the top of these cards anytime, and she could do she could do damage, she could get wins. Um, and I was someone who I haven't been super duper familiar with her work, but let me tell you. I mean, I was really impressed. Siri did this great job of really like putting over her her buddy like Amirai really established her mat work as on par with Siri. And I thought, okay, once this becomes a striking game, Siri is going to dominate. And that looked like how it was going to go. But Mirai really kind of came back and just laid some vicious blows into Siri and did, she has a really cool move. She has a fantastic Vader bomb. She does like this v- twisting. It becomes like a senton. And it sounds like a quite 
basic move, but the way that she does it has a lot of panache. I, I really enjoy that. And I mean, by the end, they they did this magical thing that pro wrestling can do. And my dis but my belief was suspended or disbelief rather. I can't remember how it goes. But but I went into the match thinking there is no way in hell Mirai is going to win. And during the course of the match, I fell for a near fall because they I just got wrapped up in the intensity and the emotion of the storytelling. And these women really just beat the hell out of each other. And I think Mirai is now like, you know, she's a force to be reckoned with in stardom. Like she could go for any title, anytime she's totally established herself. And I think that she's awesome. Her ring work is really, really good. Like she belongs there uh, in that promotion uh, near, near the top of these cards. She's really great. I will ask you something, Doc, that I've been noticing recently with stardom. Uh, It seems like, one, they seem to have an influx of capital. And two, they seem to be on a little bit of a signing spree in in 2022. It seems like they're acquiring some more talent and, and kind of bringing some fresh blood into their roster. Is that true? That is true. You know, and they definitely did this. I feel like every year since they were acquired by Bushi Road, they have gone on a bit of a spending spree uh, at some point in the year. And yeah, they've gotten um, they got Mirai, Tekla, and I can't remember the young lady's name, but uh, uh, one of the folks from uh, Act Res Girls, which recently I think shuddered, she has come over. Uh, and she's not being pushed as a main eventer because uh, I think she's uh, kind of on the greener side, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about that, but but she's firmly in the mid card. But yeah, I mean, they they have the backing of this massive, you know, corporation and they are I think they might be the only promotion in Japan to have growth last year, 2021, during the pandemic. I may have mentioned this before mm. is very small. But they did have some growth and they had they're having their best years ever. And it's no surprise because if you are a Stardom World subscriber, they run you know that they run a million shows, a lot like New Japan is doing. Right. Right. Um, And yeah, I they are acquiring a lot of talent and it's you know, it's one of those things that it's good uh, if you're a Stardom fan to see all these interesting matchups. But, you know, then you have people who have been there and put in their time that um, are not featured as much. And you have like the Joshi scene in Japan, you know, long term, it may suffer because of this kind of thing. Uh, one super promotion kind of sucking all the talent slowly out of these other really small uh, financially kind of uh, exposed or at risk indies. And Stardom isn't a company that works with other promotions very much, is it? I mean, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying. No, so that's that's not quite. So they do feature frequently talent from. At the end of last year, they had talent from Marvelous on their show, uh, on, on many of their shows, and they have. Uh, I believe the marvelous champion wrestles fairly regularly on their, on their cards. And, you know, dating back a few, a couple of years, like they would bring in, 
uh, they will bring in Gaijin wrestlers to do tours like Tony Storm. Um, sure. Would would do runs there while she was working still with progress and things. But that, of course, stopped once she signed with NXT UK. So, I mean, they're not they're not totally playing by themselves. Um, they are they are collabing somewhat. OK. All right. OK. Mirai from Stardom. That will be someone to keep an eye on. Uh, Duck, my stock up. Uh, is probably not going to be the person that people think coming from me in relation to All Elite Wrestling. No, it is not Absolute Ricky Starks, because I've been preaching the good word of Ricky (laughs) Starks since he was in the NWA. I've been waiting on the rest of you to catch up on Ricky Starks. I've been waiting for everybody else to stop sleeping on Ricky Starks. And now... I think it's starting to come around. For me, my stock up, Doc, is going to be someone in AEW that people have said they're very high on, but might have hit a bit of a wall. Maybe even a sophomore slump, if you will, uh, until recently. And that is the new undisputed TNT champion, Sammy Guevara. Well, well, well. <laughs> I am surprised at this. Okay, yeah. Um, one, he was given a big win on a big stage against a major player in AEW in a war with Cody Rhodes to become the undisputed TNT champion, which ended up getting the five-star seal of approval from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Well deserved. Uh, num- that was a great match. It was a fantastic match. Uh, I think that now uh, this is already starting to have a different feel from Sammy's first reign as TNT champion, where he was having good matches, but that was kind of it. And I feel like now he's being looked at as more of a featured player and a featured star in AEW. Now there's no question who is the TNT champion and where Sammy Guevara's place is in AEW. I think that there's going to be some good things for him coming soon, especially with whatever's happening with the inner circle. It it seems like things are going to branch out for him. Uh, Doc, you and I have talked offline about how a lot of the younger stars in AEW oftentimes will have a mentor working with them. And in Sammy Guevara's case, it was Chris Jericho, which is about as good a mentor as you can ask for in professional wrestling. And, I think that has been very good for him. I think he's always had the athletic ability. And I think that his personality and persona are really starting to grow and come more into form. And I feel like right now, it's a good spot for Sammy Guevara to be the TNT champion. I think that there's some potential really good feuds for him right now. You've got Sammy Guevara and and the AHFO. I think there's something good with him and Matt Hardy. That's potential. Another oh, veteran. No, that please. W- listen, Can we not listen. do that again? <laughs> I'm, I'm saying, bad enough of that. <laughs> uh, 
th- that was a different Matt Hardy. That this is this is this Matt Hardy, and also Sammy Guevara and Andrade. I think that will be outstanding when it comes around. And if they give that a featured spot, I think both Sammy and Andrade, a guy who we're both not so high on right now, could really, really deliver. So I I feel like right now it's a good spot for Sammy Guevara. So he is my stock up right now. I I believe Sammy Guevara is, is in a good spot and I, I believe he'll rise to the occasion. Do you think that he is a good baby face? Do you think he ought to be a heel? How do you feel about that aspect of where he's at? I believe that Sammy Guevara is an okay baby face and a good heel because he is a little bit of a, a smarmy dude. He definitely has some cockiness to him, but I think as a babyface, he's fine because as a wrestler, he's got the moves and moves are cool. Everybody <laughs> likes moves and that'll get you far nowadays. If you've got cool moves, if you're athletic and you can do stuff and you're willing to do stuff, that'll take you far. And I think that will work out for him in the long run. They might do a thing where while he's champion, it eventually turns him. That could happen. And I I think that I think that he's okay for now as he is. If it evolves and changes, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, so I think I might have said on the show before or to you in DMs like he's going to have his best run as a heel but that latter match has i think opened my eyes a little bit like to to the potential of him as babyface like that really did a lot and cody deserves a lot of credit for this in my opinion um that did did a ton to to get him over uh as like you know holy cow here's this incredibly athletic as you said like moves guy who is willing to like put his body on the line in these crazy ways, um, you never know what he's going to do. You got to tune into this match. You got to watch a Sammy match. Um, and so I think, I mean, I don't want to go so far like I, or people on Twitter calling it his Jeff Hardy moment. I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Uh, I think he had a Sammy Guevara moment and that's, I I know what people are are trying to say. And that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at without saying it, that he, you know, he may have like tapped into something that I just didn't see on my radar of in terms of potential for babyface because of what he's willing to put his body through with these high risk moves. Uh, and you know, like I like the way that you put it that he's an okay babyface, but seems like a more of a natural heel. I feel like that is actually a good way to describe his mentor, also, and so that totally makes sense. I think Jericho's a fine babyface, but. Jericho heel is money. Um, So, yeah, uh, I am largely in agreement with you here. All right. Very good. Uh, Now is the part of the podcast where Doc and I get to be jerks and we do our stock down. Who who right now are we not totally high on? Uh, Doc, what's your stock down? Okay. um, I think you're and. 
the people that listen to the show are probably not going to agree with this. But my stock down is the AEW Dynamite storylines in general right now. Um, okay. There hasn't been for a couple of weeks on Dynamite stuff that was really grabbing me in the same way that the program has done for the last, you know, eight months, let's say. I think for the first time since, you know, All Out and when Punk came back and all that, I just haven't been feeling the the programs. And on paper, it's the stuff that I, I feel like I should be into, like the inner circle disillusion, you know, the Chris Jericho, Eddie Kingston, proud and powerful deal. Like if you sort of told me this was how it was going to go, I'd be like, okay, that sounds cool, but it just has been executed in this way that has left me cold on it. The CM mm-hmm. Punk MJF buildup. I know a lot of people really liked it and I loved the match. I thought the match was just fantastic. Um, but the buildup I felt was like not so good. I just did not get me hyped to the degree that I felt I should be. And if I'm honest, I feel slightly vindicated because the rating wasn't where I felt it should uh, be when you have, when you're building to a match of that caliber on your wrestling show in your AEW and point four in the demo is like a thing that you do on the regular when you have hot shows. Um, so, and, and uh, the, the, the black throne mist Malachi bro, like all of that is just, you know, man, you know me, that is just not my thing at all. And I think Malachi Black is an excellent wrestler. I think Brody King is great, but I just can't give my, uh, can't bring myself to give a damn about what's happening. Like, you know, pack and, you know, the blindness and like just all this, like in the, this sort of weird mystical promos, like uh, this is all whatever. And so there's just a lot of stuff that is getting time right now. Adam Cole's big push. It's, it's all leaving me a little cold. I'm I'm sure things will come around. The Moxley, Brian Danielson segment was incredible. That's been the most interesting thing that's happened in a while for me. They got a world title match coming up. That'll be great. Um, so I, there's stuff on the horizon, but just lately I felt like the program has lost a little steam and Rampage has actually been a better show to me uh, here in early February, late January. I'm going to say that I've really been enjoying Rampage a lot recently, and I specifically want to talk about the MJF CM Punk feud because I was wondering what might have been missing there for some people. And I think it comes down to one of the core things that I have an issue with MJF with. Because a lot of what MJF does is really a lot of the same thing. He (laughs) will cut these promos and then he will put literally half of the roster in front of him that the babyface has to go through to fight him. And this has happened every time. 
And I remember saying to myself that while I was enjoying the work between MJF and CM Punk, the, the promos and everything else, it felt like it went a little long. It did. And I, and I know by the time we were about a week or so away from the match, it kind of felt like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the match now. And as I've been saying on Twitter a few times, AEW, you don't have to save every big CM Punk match for Chicago. I know you <laughs> like. This is a good point. I know they like to go to Chicago now about 10 or 15 times a year. I'm sure there's going to be another AEW show in Chicago in about a month, but you don't have to save every big CM Punk match for Chicago. Okay? You don't have to do that. And it felt like they were stretching that out a little bit just so it could be another CM Punk match in Chicago. It's CM Punk in Chicago. And I I definitely see where you're coming from, where it felt like, okay, Punk's got to wrestle Sean Spears. He's got to wrestle Wardlow. He's got to wrestle who knows who else. And then MJF just kept backing away and backing away and backing away. And I know it's about the heat, brother. <laughs> and it it got a little old. It did get a little old. Uh, and there is something I'm going to talk about in my stock down that might be related to the, the stories in AEW right now. And Doc, my stock down is going to be the Dark Order. Whoa. Uh, for me right now, I'm looking at the Dark Order and they pretty much got ran through in their feud with the elite, save for Adam Page and Kenny Omega. It, it has been made clear that the Dark Order is not on the elite's level, and that was cemented on Rampage with Adam Cole squashing Evil Uno, who is, for all intents and purposes, the current de facto leader of the Dark Order. Right. I love John Silver and Alex Reynolds, but it doesn't really seem like they're moving up the tag team ranks exactly. Uh, I think Anna Jay is showing a lot of potential, but she's really not in the same area as the likes of Serena Deeb and Hikaru Shida. But she's very young, and mm -hmm. her wrestling career is literally just starting. And I, I just feel like with Uno and Stu Grayson, they are a good tag team. They've always been a good tag team. They've been a good tag team for a very, very long time. But they're just not getting the, getting the move up the card that if you're a fan of the Dark Order, you might like. And it just seems like right now, the Dark Order is a bunch of really talented, entertaining people that just kind of aren't going anywhere. And you notice, I didn't even mention 10. I didn't even mention Preston Vance. And yeah, I think that says a lot too. Dark main eventer. <laughs> Basically, Preston Vance. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the Dark Order. What to, what to do with them? I mean, in some ways, this was always going to be the group's ceiling, right? I mean, where... I, what what were your expectations? Did, I mean, did you see? Speaking of Stu Grayson, by the way, I saw his face on a on a milk carton. You know, where the hell is that guy? I haven't seen him on TV yeah. in months. Right. Uh, but like, did you sort of? I guess at one point it looked like Uno and Grayson might might be the tag champs. Um, but I feel like that seems like a long time ago. Um, what what did you kind of see as the dead to, to me? They sort of are what they are. Uh, they are this sort of fun prelim slash mid card group. I think the the Beaver Boys still get huge pops. Uh, you know, Grayson gets big pops for his big moves. As I think they're well liked by the fans and they're a fun group who interacts with Adam Page in interesting ways. Um, but do you think that they can be more or should be more? I think as individuals, yes. I think that Uno and Stu could be a solid tag team champions. They've never failed to have good matches with people. I think Evil Uno is a really underrated talker. I think he's very, very good. I agree. I think that the Beaver Boys, Silver and Reynolds, could go on a great run as an underdog babyface tag team and that could really surprise some people and then maybe have like a surprise big win against somebody. I, I feel like there's something there with those two. They're very solid as a tag team. John Silver is this nuclear bomb of energy that everybody loves. And I feel like there's something there with those two. Uh, 10 Preston Vance. Mm, I don't know. Maybe he's, he's an interesting one. You know, I haven't really seen like the, the kid gloves off of him, so to speak. It, it kind of feels like we're, we're probably about due for him to become Preston Vance again and, and do something else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anna J. Um, I think she's still only like 23. Yeah, she, she, she's, she's still, the one to me who could like be the champ of her division of all these these performers. Agreed. And I, I'm kind of giving her a pass right now because yeah. she is still very young. She's very, very young. Um, I, I would love to see what Anna Jay is going to look like in five years as far as her wrestling goes. I think there's there's definitely some potential there for sure. But it just feels like they're talented guys. It just kind of feels like they're getting put by the wayside. Um, also, Colt Cabana. Oh my god, I yeah. forgot about Colt Cabana. How could I forget? Yeah, yeah they. Yeah. I love yeah. when they use him. He's he's great. Do hmm hmm. Doc, I know what you're thinking, and hmm. my answer is yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, it should be a thing. <laughs> it should, I, it I think thing. I think that there there might be a, a contributing factor with a certain someone with a Maybe. certain you know who that that might be uh, a, a bit of a hindrance for Colt Cabana. I do. Yeah. Also, 
we should probably blame Brian Danielson more than the elite for for really squashing the Dark Order because that man destroyed the Dark Order <laughs> systematically. You know, I, I got a little bit of a beef with Brian Danielson recently. Oh, uh, interesting. I got a little bit of I got a little bit of a beef with my favorite wrestler ever. Okay, <laughs> what's what's the beef? I to forget the uh, the the outline for a minute. I want to know the beef here. Okay, so I love Brian Danielson with all of my heart. I say time and time again, he is my favorite professional wrestler ever. I did not like that promo he gave on Dynamite with John Moxley. <gasps> you didn't. What? I did not. It was, and great. I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why I didn't like it. Okay. the The things that he said, very specifically, the words that he used, how he was talking about AEW, mm-hmm. how he was talking about Orange Cassidy, and talking about Silver and Reynolds. Yeah, and Luchasaurus. how he was talking. <laughs> right. Right. And. The whole serious pro wrestling, right? <laughs> yeah, that that kind of left a taste in my mouth, and yeah, I just I didn't love that. I didn't love that because I like AEW being the the cornucopia, the the buffet platter of professional wrestling that it is. I I don't always need my pro wrestling to be super serious and intense. I don't always need that. <laughs> all Japan um, ninety five all the time. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no. I don't. I don't need that. I can. I can have a little all Japan nineties. I can have a little Chikara. I can have sure. a little PWG. I we can have all of that. We can we can have a little Ring of Honor thrown in there too. We can have different things. Everybody. And and I don't know, I don't and while yes, I would love to see Lee Moriarty get some FaceTime with a big, big star like Brian Danielson, I would absolutely love that. Yes, yes, I would. He didn't need to bury Orange Cassidy like that. He didn't need to do that. <laughs> you took out Orange Cassidy, you just sideswiped him for no reason. Right, right. Orange <laughs> Cassidy catching strays for no reason. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. So I loved this. And I'll tell you why. It's not it's not because I agree with Danielson, right? That like that AEW is somehow inferior to the places that Moxley and, and Danielson have worked in the past or whatever, or that the level of talent isn't up to snuff. Um, I like it because I, I feel like so AEW has we talked about this before and in DMS for sure, like the people that AEW are courting and pandering to are not like, it doesn't seem to be like casual fans so much as like message borders, hardcores and that kind of thing, like lifelong wrestling fans. And like, they do a lot of things that like appeal to people like you and I. Um, And I think the idea is like, you tune in, you see all these hardcore fans just going bananas. Uh, then you'd be like, okay, wow, this is this is wild. I, I kind of want to be part of this. That's why I became a soccer fan, right? Like, I didn't know shit about soccer, but I tuned into, like, uh, the World Cup one year, and I was like, oh, my God, this is incredible. People are living and dying. Like, I want to be part of this. Um, and so, like, on the one hand, they they appeal to us, 
But this is like the the sort of getting the heat version of that. Like, I love that, like, you have this former WWE wrestler and then in the ether, you know, you have people, oh, AEW signing too many ex-WWE talents. And here he goes, like, saying, we've worked in serious pro wrestling places and, like, we could be running this place. Look at all these clowns. Like, I I love it. And, you know, I think Orange Cassidy and Luchasaurus loved it, too. I mean, because, you know, they know who they are and I think they get it and get what's going on. But. I I love how Danielson has turned on the fans and he's just doing shit to bother the fans. And I think ultimately your voice will be aired via John Moxley. I think what is going to happen there is Moxley may try it out with Danielson or he may not, but ultimately he's going to say, Hey, screw you. AEW is great because they took in uh, a misfit like me and I can thrive here. So I'm down for whatever's going on. You know, your opinion sucks and we're going to wrestle at AEW revolution. So yeah, that's how, that's where I stand on it. I, I man, I just loved it. I, I loved it. I, I think Danielson should start a faction called the fed. <laughs> I think it would be incredible. Jesus. <laughs> I remember something from being the elite very early on in the very early days of W um, of AEW, and it was specifically related to Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks referenced this because they they always break the fourth wall. They said that when it came to Kenny Omega. There were people out there that were expecting the New Japan version of Kenny Omega, Mm -hmm. and they were upset that they got the DDT version. Me, personally, DJM, I love the DDT version of Kenny Omega. I love the PWG version of Kenny Omega. Just as much as I love the best bout machine, I just love the guy in general. I'm totally okay with Kenny Omega doing goofy shit on being the elite and doing stuff with Michael Nakazawa. I'm totally okay with that. Mm -hmm. I've always been okay with that. And I will always be okay with that. He can go back to being a main eventer in the best bout machine anytime, whenever he's ready. But for me, that's not all he is. He doesn't have to be that way all the time. And, no. and and I feel like that that's kind of the thing. Even as someone who is a really passionate wrestling fan, I, I, I do enjoy some goofy indie stuff. I do, very much so. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be super serious pro wrestling. It really it does not. I don't think it, it AEW is in any danger of becoming that kind of thing. I just think Danielson is taking a similar track to Dan Lambert and he is he's going after people like you and trying to get under your skin. Well, it's working (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because once again, Brian Danielson, he's he's the best of the best in my very smart. Yeah, he's I, I can't sing enough praises about him, even when he's he's going against what I might like. I'm like, he's he's so brilliant. He's brilliant. And you're going to have brilliant. people like Jim Cornette or, or Corderas, whoever out there be like, yeah, Danielson, like speak truth to power, like you tell him or whatever. And like Danielson 
is just sort of parodying their voices. And I don't think he believes of what he's saying, really. I think he wants everyone in the wrestling business, like most people in, in the business, wants everyone to succeed and do well and, and kind of do their own thing and be able to make their art in the way they want, just as, as he does. All right. I, I think we agree. I think we agree. In the end, wrestling can still be fun. That that that's what I will say. All right, Doc. Let's jump into what we've got on the Doc in the Google okay. Doc today. Passing over futures. Uh oh. Yep. You're right. Futures. Sorry. Um, that's all right. Yeah. I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, I will make it quick. Uh, my future is Gabe Kidd, um, former New Japan Young Lion. Um, I, I love this guy. He's had a really incredible journey from 2020 when he decided instead of going home to England when the pandemic broke out, he would stay in Japan, live with Zach Zaber Jr. and try to make the most of his opportunity because a lot of the other undercarters and young lions were not there. He got a ton of time. He grew a lot, um, went you know, to America on excursion, has had well-documented uh, mental health struggles during the pandemic. Uh, but he's graduated now. And I think he's like a must, must watch. Um, if you have only seen him in new Japan, he's gotten a lot bigger. My man is, is jacked uh, now. And he has had a couple of absolute bangers this year already uh, with Eddie Kingston on strong. That match was uh, just so great. Have to watch it. And then he's had, a very good, not quite to the level of the Kingston match, but a very good match in Ref Pro with Akira Francesca, uh, who is someone you should have on your radar if you do not. Um, All Japan Junior now sort of looking for work globally because Japan is hard to get into. Uh, but yeah, I think Gabe Kidd as a he's a Shibata student through and through, and has put in so much hard work. And has polished his game so much that I think of that incredibly talented group of L.A. Dojo and Tokyo Dojo uh, young lions that have come through here lately. He's at the top or near the top of the heap. He's up there with your Uemuras and Sujis and everything. I think he surpassed people like Carl Fredericks. I I prefer him. I love Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors, but I think Gabe Kidd has potential to be as good or better i mean he's just great you gotta check his stuff out okay so for me with yuya uemura i I know that gabe kid is like your young lion the one that you've really put all your stock in right yeah yeah i I think so all right cool cool and it's cool that we each have one we each have one uh me being uemura yours is gabriel kid so we we have someone that we can invest in, mm-hmm. which brings me to my futures, and that's New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think that that 2021, we all know how New Japan was in 2021. It wasn't the best year they've had. But I feel like New Japan might be starting to reload. They're still dealing with some issues with the pandemic. They've had a few health scares, but so has Noah and, and so have some other promotions. 
But I get the impression, and maybe it's just because uh, we're not too far away from the New Japan Cup, which I always really enjoy. Mm -hmm. It just feels like they have some younger talent in the pipeline, finally. Uh, And the top of their card is still what everyone expects from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Kazuchika Okada is right back where he belongs. I think that given that in 2022, it seems like the door is opening a little bit more for New Japan. They're not being as isolated as they have been. I think that could freshen some things up for them. And I feel like there's there's something there that feels like... uh, I know I've talked several times about the New Japan reset button that happened at Wrestle Kingdom. And... I was always saying that I wasn't exactly excited for the reset, uh, mostly because I don't want Shingo Takagi to get put aside. Mm -hmm. But I feel like overall, overall, I think that looking at New Japan maybe for the next year or two, I feel like they will bounce back pretty strongly. If they could ever get everyone in the same building, they could put on a card better than anyone in the world. Full stop. I mean, I think their, their, their roster is beyond loaded. It circumstances being what they are, you know, their, their fans can't make noise and, and they don't have access to all their talent. It's just tough. It's tough. And uh, I mean, I will always keep tabs on them, but I think people are going to be surprised. I think, you know, the stock is really low, as you say, but that's the best time to invest. P- people might be surprised how quickly they reheat uh, up again once once they can really flex their muscle to its fullest extent. Uh, now, semi-related, Doc, uh, I just came across, and, and this will be live, everybody. We're live, pal. Uh, the Weekly Pro Wrestling from Japan, uh, Weekly Pro Wrestling's Top 50 pro wrestlers of 2021 doc we're gonna do this live and i'm gonna put this in the zencaster chat this is coming from reddit and they translated the article and i'm sending this over to you now and let's let's run down this we'll we'll stick with the top 10 we'll go with the top 10 really quickly what is this okay this is for all japan then this is for all promotions what is this is for all could you explain is there any criteria that is public or what's the uh, is this a vote this is uh, a campaign a fan voted campaign of around december 21 for subscribers of weekly pro wrestling magazine in japan uh and digital subscribers uh voters will choose their top three wrestlers of the year and voting was cast and this is all across Japan. This is New Japan. This is Noah, Tokyo Joshi, Stardom. Not a lot of Dragon Gate. Uh, but th- this is all of Japanese wrestling <laughs> across the board. <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I just could, you, we are live. So <laughs> I'm seeing freedoms in the top 20 ish. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh that's well, incredible. Well, it's it's the legend, the the crazy monkey himself, Jun Kasai. Okay, so what do you want to know? What do you? How do we want to break this down? Let, let, let me just get your takes. Uh, let, let's go with the top ten. 
Um, I will ask you about number 10 and number 9, both from Stardom. Uh, Mina Shirakawa at 10 um, and Sayaka Unagi at number uh-huh. 9. Yep. These are fan yep. voted all, all three of, of their favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh okay, so this is this is fan favorites. I mean, I get it. You know, this is not this is not a ring work uh or even a kayfabe kind of positioning, I think. Uh No, that's Tokyo oh. that's Tokyo Pro Sports. Right. Uh so uh, Unagi and and Mina are both in Tom Nakano's stable, um, Cosmic Angels, and uh, they are um, they are okay uh, as wrestlers. They are fine. Um, I think Mina. Uh, hmm, how do I put this delicately? Uh, I think she's going to get a lot of the heterosexual male vote uh, in any mm-hmm. poll that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or or other uh sexualities and genders that are attracted to ladies, um, I don't. But I mean that that probably sells her short because I think she's a fine wrestler. She's not bad. I, I don't think either of these ladies are bad, but they are. Siri's not not in the top ten. Utami's not in the top ten. Momo Watsnabe is not in the top ten. Those are the women who I think are the the upper echelon of stardom and you know but but there's an idle element to this so it's good that their undercarders are so popular uh and they can use this i think to you know plan how they're going to draw money in the future number eight my man the dragon shingo takagi too low number seven too low for shingo agreed (laughs) number seven Starlight Kid. An interesting she, spot. Interesting spot for her. She's a star. Baby face or heel. I think she's just a star. I I love her. Like what a I mean, you never like to see anyone injured, but because the leader of Oedotai, Natsuko Tora, got injured in 2021, sort of the leadership role was thrust upon Starlight Kid, and she just she soared, DJM. She soared. And to me, she feels like the de facto leader now, even though Tora is back. And like you, she's got this star quality, her ring work, fantastic. And I think she I think this is like a deserved a deserved spot for her, a very high ranking. I, I think she's great. Okay. Now before we talk about number six, <laughs> I just want to say, Doc. At number 17 was the next pro wrestling Noah star. And that was your boy, Keno, at number 17. But at number six, Keiji Muto. Who's reading this magazine? Japanese wrestling fans. Is this the, the, the Muto family and extended friend? Like, what, what is going on? Three, you know, 300 you know, votes more than Keno. Come on. I've always said that as a wrestler only, as a wrestler only, Keiji Muto is great. And he has always been great. As a wrestler only, if we're speaking specifically as a wrestler only. He was great. 
I kind of get it. He was I kind of do. He's not I'm great sorry, anymore. Doc. I'm sorry, but I kind of get it. I he's not great anymore, it. though. I mean, he's, he's not. He's is he not. okay? Sure. I mean, he's, okay. he's better than you'd expect, probably. Yeah, but. yeah. For for someone that is pushing sixty, yeah, he's he's really good. But I I feel like Japanese wrestling needs a Hall of Fame. And Muto needs to be inducted, and, and he just needs to, to go. Where's Katsuhiko Nakajima? Katsuhiko Nakajima is number 35. Good God. Marafuji, Slight, now meet slightly, slightly ahead of uh, Go, and below Kaito Kiyomiya, which is a miracle. And now Michi Marafuji is at number 25, hanging in there. Marafuji still hanging in. Good the name him. recognition. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's another long term Noah guy, so he's he's sure. got legacy on his side. I believe. I think he's got legacy on his side. Number four, and I will admit it to everyone, I am in this demographic, and this is specifically for me. Tom Nakano. I I'm I. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> that, that's my girl, Doc. That's my girl. Wow, okay. Okay. Interesting. I, oh, sorry, I'll let you go. I'll get out of your way. Sorry. Go ahead. I I just kind of love her. I, I think that when I watch her matches, I think she is a very elegant baby face. Um, I, I have no problem saying I think she's gorgeous. And I just, she, she's, she's my girl. Mm-hmm. I, I love me some Tamuchan. That's it. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, she's she's someone for me who I don't know. I've I I see all the good qualities that you mention. Um, although she's not necessarily my type. Um, like she's my type. <laughs> she she is a lovely lady. Uh, and she and she. I see the ring work and I see the character work, but for whatever reason, she, you know, I was always a Momo Watanabe guy. And like, so Tom never like grabbed me in that same way. I think I appreciate and admire her more than like, I don't know. I'm not like, I'm not on the bandwagon, I guess in the way that you are, but like, but Hey, she's the highest ranked stardom wrestler here. And she held uh, the work, kind of the work rate title, or what had been the work rate title in Stardom, uh, the Wonder title, uh, for a lot of last year. And you know, maybe she'll move up the card from here, and now like, sort of get her run with the World of Stardom Championship. Um, well, who, who knows? I mean, she's she's very popular, and she is a very good wrestler. Um, so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to her 2022. I, I, I think she's positioned to have a really good one. I agree. And then that's all I'm going to say before I start sounding really chauvinistic. Uh, but <laughs> number three, this one really surprised me. Yeah. Yuki Arai. What is she doing? So, <laughs> well, look, I mean, there must be, you know, she's a legit idol part of, you know, SKE yeah, 48. That's true. That's so, true. okay. That yeah, has to be right. a big part of it, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Not to say, like, you know, in ring, I think that she's, she's doing well and fine and finding herself. Um, but 
I think this is... He's only 23, too. She's young, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she uh, hasn't mm-hmm. even been wrestling for a full calendar year at this point. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she, I think she began her career in earnest last May. Okay. So she's, you know, there's, there's a ton of potential, but she's got a long way to go in terms of growth. Um, but you know, the, these Tokyo Joshi cards definitely feature her prominently and position her well, um, because I guess they know how popular she is. And yeah, I look forward to, I look forward to to use the analogy. To use the analogy, sink or swim, it seems like she's swimming. So, good for her. Right. hmm Yep. Number two, and I completely agree with this one, Tetsuya Naito. Teflon. Like, could could have a bad in-ring year. I don't. Could have a bad in-ring year uh, and still retain all that popularity. Well, and maybe he, bad in-ring year is harsh, but like in terms of like injuries, injuries, injuries. He, and yeah, like didn't really I mean, I guess he held the tag titles for a minute, but yeah. didn't really feel like a he was any of the, the tippy top programs this year. It, it felt like I get the impression that 2021 for Tetsuya Naito, he was probably a little bit more banged up than we might know about. And I think that the knee injury he had in the latter half of the year mm. might have just been one too many. Because mm. as we know about wrestlers, they will work through as many injuries as they can until they just can't anymore. And I imagine that the knee injury he had was like, okay, that's enough. And yeah, this this was kind of a down year for him. But he, in my opinion, he's the people's champion. Of Japanese professional wrestling. He is the people's yeah. champion. Uh oh, geez, we skipped number five. We God. <laughs> and and it's Okada. It's Okada. It's Kazuchika Okada, the Rainmaker. I mean, what else needs to be said? Yep. He's well he's deserved. well on his he's well on his way to becoming the GOAT. There, there's really nothing else to say. Two hundred fewer but, votes than Yuki Orai, though. <laughs> right? Incredible. And he's under Tom Nakano. He is by a substantial margin. Yeah. But at number one, with nearly 1,200 points, nearly double Tessia Naito, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Go, ace! The man, the myth, the legend, you know? Um, I, I, I he's not going anywhere. <laughs> anytime soon i guess with with polls like this saying hey he may be not what he once was physically but we still love him we still want to see him we will still pay money to see him and last year he really did have a a, a nice year um so i don't know i mean do you do you think he's gonna it's it's hard to know when i guess these guys are gonna slide down the card maybe you, you don't really realize it until it's kind of happened already, but um, I don't know. Uh, Tanahashi, uh, he he may have another sneaky good year. It wouldn't shock me. I I feel like at this point, it's it's not really sneaky or a secret. I think that Tanahashi pr- has can prove and probably still could prove that he's the man. He's the man, and it looks like. Japanese wrestling fans, at least who read Weekly Pro Wrestling, agree with me. Tanahashi is still the ace. 
I mean, his, and, his and, accomplishments speak for themselves. He's he's an incredible, legendary, I mean, one of the best to ever do it, no doubt. He should uh, he should bully te- uh, uh, Keiji Muto, though. He should <laughs> yes, he should. His, he should exert his will over the will of Keiji Muto next time there's a joint show. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, but yeah, and look at the gap between number one and number two. Like, wow. Like, we were talking about how Naito is the people's champion, but the gap between the vote points, it was 684 for Naito at number two and 1,198 for Tanahashi. Like, that, that is... Tana lapped the field. He really did. Um, He's probably got a ton of first place votes, you know, given, I guess you're voting on your top three and the points are distributed, like in that sort of way. So it feels like maybe he was the first choice for most people. And then all these other guys were sort of fighting for the scraps of second and third. Yeah, seems like it, but man, give it up for the ace. He's, he's still going strong. He really, really is. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that Tanahashi is not moving down the car just yet. Cause I still love him. Go ace. All right, so now we can jump into the rest of the show, John. Uh, so bring something up, and it's it might be a little controversial, but it's bugging me, and I can't really ignore it anymore. And we've talked a little bit on this episode about the AEW fan base, the, the hardcore wrestling fan base. And there has been some talk about how some people don't like some of the things that are coming out from AEW. They don't like some things that are coming out from Tony Khan. And I feel like it's not necessarily AEW, but it's the fan base. And yes, I'm going to talk about Brandy Rhodes and Dan Lambert. Okay. All right. So with whatever is going on here, I will admit that it isn't exactly great pro wrestling, but there is something that just really bugs me. And we have Dan Lambert, who gets booed out of the building everywhere else. But for whatever reason, when he was in the ring with Brandy Rhodes, they started booing Brandy. And there was just something about this that's been going on where the AEW fans really dislike Brandy Rhodes. And it's just, there's something about it that just doesn't sit right with me. And I'm going to go back a little bit. And I remember how... AEW fans were reacting and talking about Red Velvet for a while. And they were really, really harsh on her for what was essentially one botch in a match. Mm. Uh, It was a moonsault that didn't go well. She, She didn't turn all the way on a moonsault. And wrestling fans, AEW fans, really had a hard time letting that go with Red Velvet. And we've forgiven Matt Seidel. We could forgive Red Velvet. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that, that 
And that kind of bugged me a little bit. And then I'm going to go to Jade Cargill. And I feel like there is a certain segment of AEW fans that kind of refuse to see that Jade Cargill has improved in a very short time as a pro wrestler. She's very, very new to pro wrestling, but she has picked it up very quickly. And there are some AEW fans that really just kind of refuse to see that with her. And last, but certainly not least, yes, Doc and listeners, I'm going there. The way AEW fans took to the big swole situation, yeah, not a great look on the part of AEW fans. No, Tony Khan didn't do a great job either, but the way a lot of AEW fans really went after Big Swole. That didn't sit right with me. It really didn't. And I'm starting to think that it's not AEW the company, and I wouldn't even say it's Tony Khan, but I think a lot of really diehard wrestling fans, Brandy Rhodes, Red Velvet, Jade Cargill, Big Swole, and yes, for a while... Naomi over in the Federation over in New York, I'm starting to think that a lot of hardcore wrestling fans, there there might be a problem there, Doc. Do, do you know what I'm getting at? You know what I'm getting at, Doc? I, I, I'm picking up what you're putting down, DJM. And I, you know, we have talked about a lot of these issues a lot uh, on, uh, on DMs and stuff. So, uh, I think you know where where my heart is on this. I mean, I I agree with you. Um, I think that Tony Khan and AEW fans were incredibly unfair to to Big Swole, and that uh, that whole situation uh, I think is just sort of a, a real black mark on the on just everyone involved, bar Swole for me. Um. And Cargill, you know, honestly, the, like the way she presents herself, like it doesn't surprise me that there are a lot of people turned off by a very strong, powerful black woman uh, who is in your face about it. Um, and I, I mean, we live in a racist country, so it does not surprise it said it. That's right. Uh, we we live in a an institutionally racist country with a lot of individuals who've internalized uh, racist ideas, and so does it surprise me that you know this bleeds over into wrestling fandom? It does not, but it still disheartens and disappoints me uh, a lot. And that pattern that you're talking about is real, and um, and I think you know pe- people need to. People need to just be ready for Jade Cargill to be a big star and be pushed. Her in particular, uh, she's not going anywhere, and you just gotta you gotta love it or leave it in terms of this aspect of AEW. So, but but yeah, I mean, I'm I I agree with you. This is a this is a problem. It's it's a problem, and it's 
it really, really stuck out to me when Dan Lambert started getting cheered over Brandy Rhodes. And you can say whatever you want about the Codyverse, but the way people still just absolutely refuse to e- even consider that Brandy Rhodes is not the worst person ever. People say that she kind of walked into the promotion and demanded being in a prominent position. No. She wrestles on elevation and dark herself. If you watched Rhodes to the top, she was willing to get in the ring and start from the bottom. She was willing to do that. But for whatever reason, wrestling fans, AEW fans, just are not willing to acknowledge that with her. She, as Cody has said, she is willing to do the work, just like her husband says. And when I saw her getting booed with Dan Lambert, it was like, mm, just, mm. it left a really sour taste in my mouth. Because... Guys, Brandy Rhodes is not Stephanie McMahon. She really, really isn't. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, I think that she is far better as a talker, a manager, you know, that kind of role than, than Stephanie. Um, I haven't been, a, I, I'll be honest with you, DJ. I'm, uh, in the ring, I'm not her biggest fan, like bell to bell. But she, she's not the greatest, and she's even admitted that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, she's got great she personality ha- and charisma, though. Really, but, really great. Agreed. And just to go back to her work in the ring for a second, she is not the one putting her in big moments on Dynamite and Rampage. She's, but she is wrestling on Elevation and Dark. She's actually trying to improve and she always has she's never shied away from wanting to wrestle in the undercard and and Mm -hmm. build her way up she did that in ring of honor she did that in japan even that she's willing to work she's not trying to push her way up there so to i guess slightly like push back regarding this particular dynamite segment do you think that Brandy beginning the interview with the whole like, hello, Cleveland in Chicago kind of is responsible for setting the table here? Of like, OK, boo me, like, come on, like, uh, g- give me your hate. Um, what do you think yes. about this aspect of it? OK, yes, because I know Brandy is very self-aware. She's yeah. extremely self-aware, just like Cody. So I absolutely think that was part of it. I'm I maybe I'm kind of on an island. Uh, and I think I've said this on the pod before. Like I I have enjoyed the the Rhodes Lambert back and forth. I actually have liked both of those segments a lot. And I didn't look at the Brandy Rhodes um booing as the like the fans sort of hijacking anything or turning on the promotion and what they were giving it. Um, and this could just be me, right. Being too charitable. But like to me, it just seemed like they were like really enjoying giving her crap. 
and and booing her and that she was like inviting them to do it and goading them and kind of it was really weird that Lambert was getting some cheers. <laughs> it was very odd because yeah, I feel like he's the most hated man on on the internet uh, in terms of wrestling. Like nobody uh, except for maybe me and Joe Lanza enjoy, enjoyed the Dan Lambert uh, promos and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I mean, so so you didn't like these segments um, apart from like the uncomfortable feeling it gave you. Um, I really haven't liked it much at all, honestly. Mm-hmm. To to use the term, Dan Lambert has go away heat with me. It, it's it's a hundred percent go away heat. I okay. I could do without him entirely. Oh man, I really I really like him, and I love to Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page just making faces in the background and reacting to stuff like over yeah. overreacting, like Scorpio falling on the ground. <laughs> Like, I mean, that, that is good. Granted, you should have you should have a better use for Scorpio Sky uh, than than that. But he's playing his role that he's given very well. <laughs> he's really he made is. me laugh. He is. So. He is. OK, so everyone out there, you can at me at call me DJM and tell me I'm being oversensitive. I don't care. Doc, let's move on to action wrestling. This one was in the doc from you. So let's talk about it. Yes. Okay. So some of you may know about this, but I really wanted to give this a prominent spot in our show because I want anyone who doesn't know about it to know about it and seek it out because man, indie wrestling in America is still alive and well, and that heartbeat is strong and you can get incredible, personal, emotional moments in indie wrestling still to this day. And what I want to talk about is AC Mack and Alex Shelley for the Independent Wrestling TV Championship uh, at Action Wrestling Southeast First. So this show happened at the end of January. And... AC Mack is is someone who I wish was on my radar earlier. He's someone who has wrestled in Nashville many times for Southern Underground. He was a Southern Underground Pro Champ, I think, for a little while. And like, just totally a, a bad move on my part to just have completely missed his career up to this point. Because when I heard about everything that had happened, I, I sought this out and was blown away by the performer that AC Mack is. Now, so gosh, how should we how should we break this down and set this up? So so what happened was uh Alex Shelley was the independent wrestling TV champion. And AC Mack has been wanting a shot at this particular title for a long time, but the the book on Mack is that he is solid, but he hasn't been given a lot of opportunities because uh he doesn't travel. Also, he is black. Also, he is openly gay. So there are those things that some bookers may view as as problems. But he also doesn't really wrestle that much outside of the Southeast. And his home promotion, I think, is action in like Tyrone, Georgia. So he gets Shelley to finally come down and wrestle him in Tyrone uh, in Georgia in front of uh, Southern fans. And. This match was just so classic. It was someone who is supposed to be a heel, AC Mack, but because he 
represents and stands so hard for the Southeast. Like these small town Georgia fans, this warehouse full of them, it looked like they were in like an airplane hangar, were just living and dying on every word he said. And he can talk. Oh boy, he's a fantastic talker. They were in love with this guy. Every like just not a silent moment in this match. You know, if and any can I can yeah, I just say that I absolutely loved that it was my guy, my my Detroit Motor City machine gun guy, Alex Shelley. Absolutely. Totally was gonna get to Shelley because Shelley deserves a lot of credit for making this moment happen because he I don't know if he knew what he was walking into before he got out there, but whether he did or not, if he adapted or if he knew, my man was an incredible heel, like really just walks out to this hostile crowd and has this look about him, this energy radiating from him of disgust, like, oh, Tyrone, Georgia. These country bumpkins. These hicks get me out of here like i want just as soon as i finish this match i am i am on a plane i am in a limo i am gone this is out of gross and like it was just awesome and they had a really great match i think the the ring work is very good but like what elevated this was like just the energy in this building pushing so hard for their guy a building full of white people basically i mean there were there were you know some black and brown folks especially on the roster um but a bunch of white fans were just like cheering this you know openly gay black man like to the rafters because he he stands for for their geography and like and, and he had been like shorted for so long and and stiffed and not gotten his opportunity but he Great match. He won. He's the IWTV champion. The place is going bananas. And he starts this incredible sort of feud here that I hope gets to play out. He's basically feuding with the North and the Northeast and New England wrestling. You know, he's saying, I'm IWTV champion. And if anyone wants a shot at this, you're going to have to come down here to the Southeast, to Georgia to Nashville, to Kentucky, to Alabama, to wrestle me uh, and take it from me here in my home. Um, And, you know, or or if you want me to come up, you're paying for my flight. I'm tired of paying for my transportation. Um, And so it's this sort of pseudo Bret Hart, you know, in Canada thing where he is this amazing heel, but like in the South, he's like their champion. Um, and it's so cool. I think there's a lot of stuff that like if sensitive wrestling fans on Twitter take it the wrong way could make bookers gun shy to go forward with it. And I implore you fans, please allow yourself to be worked. I don't No one in this feud is racist or like anything like that. I mean, it's just I mean, maybe they are right. But like the storytelling itself is fine. Like, let it play out. It's good. It's good heat. It's fun. Man, I just I hope that you have this thing. And this this makes me so interested to watch like beyond wrestling and see how, you know, they react and stuff like that. So I'm I'm very curious. I think if, if you haven't seen this, it's out there in the ether. It's available. You could run it down on fight or elsewhere. 
um, an incredible moment. You know, the, the, the Stanford Supermax talks about making moments all the time. This was a freaking moment. So just so I'm clear, generally, AC Mac overall is not a babyface. He has not been, is my understanding. He's been a heel throughout much of his run. Okay, that that makes sense because his promos definitely did not come off as a babyface standing up for wrestling in the South which you'll see from guys like Shug D, like you'll see from Darius Lockhart, the revolutionary, who's now with the NWA. It, it, it really did come off as more like he's doing this more for himself. Mm. And that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I just, I did not see him as a baby face at all. It, it just, and he is a really good talker. It, it was just definitely heelish definitely more heelish and yeah i'm interested i'm interested in seeing where it goes i'm interested in seeing how it turns out yeah i got got it even if he even if he did beat my boy alex shelley he you know he did shelley's shelley's fine he's he's an indie legend at this point you know he is uh he he could take this loss he'll he'll be just fine He'll be just fine. But uh, did I tell I you that I actually bumped into Alex Shelley once here? You mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. It was just um, I was getting um, takeout at a Mexican restaurant here and it was just like, oh, hey, Alex Shelley. What's up, dude? Uh, he, he was on a date, I think, at the time. So he was there with a lady. So I didn't like bug him or be like the total geek out wrestling fan. It was just <laughs> like, oh, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And yeah, I can confirm. Alex Shelley, actually from Detroit, I can confirm. That was very respectful of you to give him his uh, his space. That's absolutely solid, solid move as a fan, in my opinion. Okay, moving on in the dock. Uh, Revolution Pro, Rev Pro High Stakes Doc. What's going on? Okay, so I'm going to be talking again <laughs> for a minute, but. Another another thing that I think people really should go out of their way to seek out is uh, the main event from this show, uh, High Stakes 2022, uh, New York Hall, uh, January 29, um, from RevPro. The whole show is is quite good. Um, RevPro, uh, it has sort of the flaws in it that are endemic to RevPro that I say endemic. I mean, they shouldn't be like, they're not immutable, but Rev pro has a lot of production issues, not the greatest audio. Um, Rev pro can get a little, uh, trigger happy. Don't trigger happy. is not the right word. They, a little attitude era ish in terms of like overbooking Mm. things. Mm. Um, that, that can happen from time to time. Uh, but flaws and all, I mean, I think this this is uh it's so good that you have a promotion that is really flying the flag and carrying on and pushing things forward in British wrestling, a scene that has been decimated uh by WWE in recent years. And the main event uh to this show 
is my early leader in the clubhouse for match of the year. Uh, it was uh, Will Ospreay, uh, Rev Pro Undisputed Champ, versus Cruiserweight Champ, Michael Oku. Um, and the the difference in the, the weight disparity, right, immediately kind of tells you if you're like a fan of New Japan or something like, oh, Oku, no chance in hell. And before the match, absolutely, I would agree. But as I have talked about previously in this show, wrestling can do this really magical thing where when you're in the heat of the moment, it makes you believe that the other guy can win. And that is what this match did for me. This match truly elevated Michael Oku to another level for me because I have thought that Oku is is um, a good wrestler, like a uh, a star for for this scene, um, tag championship material, great cruiserweight champion, but I never has seen him as as someone who should hold the top title. And I think after this match, I think I might see him in that way. You know, I had thought before this match that Ricky Knight Jr. was the man to dethrone Will, but you might that 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 might not be <laughs> the case because this match, man. Let me tell you, if you miss NXT 1.0, I've said this about Ref Pro matches before. If you miss NXT 1.0 in the golden years of that, this is a match for you. If you want a match that has solid in-ring work, but prioritizes over that drama, emotion, then this is a match for you. This this was a war is not the right word, but it was just something. I mean, and if you think Will Ospreay, if you still think Will Ospreay is a spot monkey, um, you're just not watching wrestling and you're you're a bad faith actor. If you're set because he did one Spanish fly in this match, and that was the lone top rope thing that he did. He is just a nasty, hard hitting. Dickish heel. And he played his role amazingly. I mean, there were so many spots to like point to for that. Like there was this incredible table spot and it was incredible because it looked unnatural. Like Oku was on the top rope and Will just shoved him off and Oku flew through the announcer's table. And it wasn't one of those where it looked like a prepared table. You know, Will didn't get it out from under the ring and set it up and laugh. It just out of nowhere. And so it looked, it was like a, like a shield. The fans reacted like, Oh, Oh my God, what just happened? And Oku was bleeding. Will was a bloody mess by the end of it. Uh, Will grabbed Oku's girlfriend out of the crowd and punched her. (laughs) And she's a wrestler too, so she's in on this, obviously. Um, But she was like jawing him the whole time and he finally had had enough. But so he's like throttling her and out of nowhere, Oku flies onto the, the camera shot and like drop kicks Will. And the bump Will took into the guardrail to sell it was like unlike any other drop kick bump I've ever seen. He just killed himself to sell this man coming to the aid of his girlfriend. And I mean, they really did kill each other. The, the stip here, DJM, was no ref stoppages. Mm. Um, because. And I, I don't know who called for that, um, but 
Will Ospreay, because the ref could not do anything, do you want to guess how many hidden blades he delivered to Michael Oku? Take take a guess. Seven. Nine. Nine. Woo! Like, he... And this is what I mean about, like, the walking the line of being overbooked. Like, he would give a hidden blade and then give another and then start to pin him and then pull Oku up at two and then give another and another. Pin him, pull him up at two, give another and another and then another one to the front of the face. Like, just slaughtered the poor kid. Um, And you know how I really know this match was good is that so my son likes to watch Rev Pro with me. And... Mm -hmm. He like he watches New Japan as well. So he has a lot of respect for Will and his talent. We both love Will, but my God, he hates Will. He's <laughs> like, oh, he was like, I was like, you know, son, I don't want you to get your hopes up. But, you know, Oku's going to lose this match going into it where I was telling him. And he's like, by the middle of this match, he's like, no, Oku has to win, dad. He's a legend. Like he has to win. <laughs> so, like just cheering for the guy and like, despising this cocky, brutal heel that is Will Ospreay. So, I mean, I loved this match. There's like a a million false finishes and just all kinds of like melodrama that that was, you know, can walk the line for some people, but really worked for me in this context. So if that sounds like something you'd be into, definitely check this out. It's it's not this sort of prototypical Will Ospreay match that people might be imagining in their minds. Do you think Michael Oku is on the upswing? Do you think he might be going places? Oh, man. That's such a, that's a hard question to answer because I think that what he does really well is he, he plays the underdog and has a great crowd connection with Rev Pro fans with the York Hall group with that like 1200 people that are there love this guy but like if you just kind of stuck him in a different ring that didn't know any of that I don't know if he would jump off the page you know because he's a smaller guy Um, I don't know if anything about his work is you you know he's not going to do like the the cutter off the ladder like Sammy Guevara Um, he does have a lot of heart but if he does, if he does make some kind of move and and wrestle in Japan or America, it might take him some time to win people over. But but he does have a lot of heart and he is a likable guy. Um, okay. So okay. yeah, someone to keep an eye on maybe in the future. You'd say? I think so. I think he he could take that title from Will Osprey when the time comes. Rev Pro de- debuted a new title belt as well. It's um. It's it's a really beautiful belt. It's much larger than their old world title belt. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Everybody check out Rev Pro. Doc loves Rev Pro, so make Love sure you Rev check Pro. it out. They have here's a hot take. They have the best tag team in the world wrestling for them. Aussie Open. They're yeah, I said it. They're high on them. They're I said high it. on them. I- and I love the Lucha Brothers and I love the Young Bucks, but like if you are sleeping on Aussie Open, like you've gotta I mean Those what, are your guys. You, Yes, I oh, they are they are something else, man. And and watching Kyle Fletcher grow has been has been a joy. Um, if if you find Australia shows or British shows with them in it, like seek them out. They are they are excellent. Okay, Aussie Open. 
I know you've been talking about them for a while. All right, so last but not least, this is just going to be kind of a DJM rant. Because earlier today, I saw an interview with CM Punk. And it just kind of inspired me to talk about something that I felt for a long, long time. And it was that wrestling fans often, especially hardcore wrestling fans, they tend to ruin things for themselves. Hmm. And it, it made a point of how you'll hear wrestling fans say that they'll get a great match like his match with MJF. And then there will be people that say they should have had that match on pay-per-view instead of giving it away on free TV. Oh my and God. Punk, Punk in this interview was like, guys, just enjoy it. Yeah, we're giving it to you. It's to, You can enjoy <laughs> it. It's fine. And th- this, in, this inspired something in me, something that I've felt for a long, long time. And it really came to came to light when Hangman Adam Page became AEW World Champion. And the first thing I started seeing was who's going to be Adam Page for the AEW World title. And it was like it hadn't even been a month since he won the world title. And people are trying to fantasy book him losing the world title. Why? Why are you doing that? And I just feel like too many times, too often, wrestling fans, hardcore wrestling fans, are always trying to play general manager or play booker or always trying to find out the next six months of storylines. And this is something that I've always had a problem with because you're not enjoying what's happening in front of you if you're doing that. And someone will say, well, that's that's the best part of being a wrestling fan is trying to predict what's going to happen. I strongly mm. disagree. Yeah. I strongly, strongly disagree with that. For me, in my opinion, the best part of being a wrestling fan is getting caught up in what's happening right now. Like, I love talking about what's happening on Dynamite. I love what's happening talking about what's happening on Rampage. I love talking about the promos that the Briscoes and FTR are going back and forth with one another. Do I am I ready to see them wrestle? Yes, but I'm enjoying the promos right now. I'm very happy with Adam Page's AEW World Champion right now. I'm excited for the match with Lance Hoyt right now. I am not thinking about 6 months from now. I'm not thinking about who's going to beat him. I'm enjoying it right now. And I feel like oftentimes, a lot of wrestling fans, they will not enjoy something that's good right now. They're always trying to figure out what's going to happen. And I think that that a lot of that comes from the Stanford Supermax, where there's so much that's, not good right now and it always comes down to the old idea of just letting it play out and with pretty much every other wrestling company in the world 
you don't have to let it play out and see where it's going because you're probably going to get something good right now. And in I just I really wish wrestling fans would stop trying to book the next six months of TV and just, you know, enjoy what's happening right now. God, yes. Um, I, I think what I would say is. You probably are at this point, wrestling fans are not able to turn that off. Um, the thinking about the future, thinking about, you know, who's going to draw money, who's who should win the title, who's how are they going to position this person going for like and I, I do read that all that is fun. Um, but DJM, you make an excellent point is that you I feel like letting that overshadow and spoil the enjoyment that is meant to be taken from what is right in front of your eyes, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the, the promotions and stuff, a disservice like AEW. I mean, they, they give us a lot of incredible matches for free on TV. And I think just like, you know, I don't know. I don't want to tell people what to do, but like, just if you're, if you like the company, I mean, just enjoy that. Like, just because it's, I mean, even just this year alone with the Hangman Danielson and uh, the Punk MJF, it's been, it's been incredible. And like, if AEW six months from now were to go under, you would just say to yourself, man, why didn't I appreciate this while it was right in front of me when it, when I still, when I had it, these great wrestling on television. And like, it, Dorks out there talking about, you know, oh, they should save this or that for pay-per-view. Like, it, it's one thing if they're only fans, you know what I mean? But like professionals, people in the business, people paid to talk about the business are saying this too. How about get a clue of how the business is run now? How about just like listen to an episode of WrestleNomics or, you know, re, you know, read an observer. Look at like where the money comes from in wrestling now. And it's just television revenue. Please, please get your head out of the 1990s and early aughts. Wrestling has moved on. It is different. Should you save some some things for pay-per-view? Yes, you want to sell pay-per-views. The majority of your of, of American wrestling revenue now comes from these TV deals, these live uh uh, the, the rights to air these things live that these TV stations pay for. And so is AEW going to keep doing these great TV matches? Yes, they should. And WWE should, if, if they, you know, had any sense about them. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, if, if you during, you know, if you're out there like enduring the punk MJF match, you're just like posting online, about how you, why is this airing on TV or like, you know what I mean? Like you're just sort of really missing the plot uh, and you're, you're doing yourself a disservice as a fan. And one more thing on this doc, if a wrestling company that you really enjoy doesn't follow your fantasy booking exactly to the letter and it makes you upset that they didn't follow your fantasy booking to the letter, that's a you problem, not a them problem. Oh. And that's um, all. DJM, can I, I have to 
for one moment, step away, but I will be right back. Well, I can pretty much take it home from here. Okay. I'll take it home. All right. All right. So, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of the Open Door Wrestling Podcast. That was The Subtle Doctor. You can follow him on Twitter at The Subtle Doctor, where he has a veritable cornucopia of other content that he creates. Wadawi Desho, amongst other things as well. I'm DJM. If you like, you can follow me on Twitter at CallMeDJM, where I talk about various other things and create other content as well. Follow the podcast collectively at Open Door Rest Pod, where Doc and I are going to be talking about various things in pro wrestling that we're into at the moment. You'll see me sign things, DJM. You'll see him sign things, Doc. And you can differentiate and join the conversation with both of us if you see fit. Follow the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get them. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, and everything in between. Send us an email. We like the long-form discussions. You can send us an email at opendoorrespod at gmail.com. We like having a conversation with y'all. Let us know. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to go look at Tom Nakano's Instagram, and until next time, peace.